Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 196, recorded for January 18th, 2023. The Cloud Pod plays with all the stuff it found in the clean room. Good evening, Ryan. It's just the two of us. Yeah. Hello. Uh, How's it going? Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's been a week. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, Long, long week of, you know, review time season and yeah. writing reviews and thinking about people's performance. And it's really tiring. And when you have a large team, you do a lot of calibration, a lot of uh, aligning on on vision and things. And so, yeah, uh, I'm ready for the weekend. Mm. Indeed. But I'm ready for the weekend on Mondays, typically. So, you know, it's not that strange. <laughs> Uh, well, unfortunately, Peter couldn't make it tonight, and uh, Jonathan uh, also had something going on, so he wasn't able to make it. So we said, let's just do the two of us. Um, so this will either be a lightning round version of the <laughs> uh, in like 15 minutes, uh, or we'll talk for hours, because Ryan and I have been known to do that uh, over a pint many a time. So <laughs> you'll, you'll see how it goes, listeners. <laughs> All right. Well, I have, a, I have a few new stories that I thought were worthy of talking about. It's sort of nice now to be in the new format and uh, now get to be like more, you know, have more prejudice against stories now. So like uh, earlier we were talking about a story potentially for Context Center AI. And I was like, I don't really care about this. And Ryan was like, I don't care about this either. And I was like, dead. It's gone. Yeah. But normally we would have had to talk about that and mm-hmm. we would have tried to make it interesting and it wouldn't have worked and people would have tuned us out. But now uh, now we can talk about things that we actually think are interesting or cool, which is sort of fun. But uh, if you are interested in all those boring stories like Context Center AI, you can find all those in the show notes uh, in the bottom. Uh, AWS Systems Manager announces patching policies which enable cross-account and cross-region patching. And all I can say is thank you, thank you, thank you. Because the idea of having to do a set of patching policies and try to track patching across multiple accounts in my 175 accounts was kind of miserable, <laughs> and I didn't want to do it. And it's one of the many reasons, other than the fact that it's part of Systems Manager, which I sort of have a hatred for, um, I did not want to set that up. So the patch policy provides you a user experience in the single console to easily identify and enforce patch compliance across accounts and regions in a few clicks. And with this, you can centrally define all of your organization's policies and centrally manage them. So you can hand that off to a SOC team or a L1 team or anybody who's in charge of patching that isn't me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is a huge advantage to those centralized teams trying to support just the the growing cloud workload, and as we've segregated to very granular levels and and having multiple accounts, it gets really difficult. And I'm sure there's lots of automation to make this easier. People have got their homegrown scripts and all kinds of things to try to push this across accounts and across regions, but nothing beats having it native in the product. So nice, I like this one. Me too. And I, like I, you know, Google doesn't has a patch policy, but it doesn't work on prem. And I'm like, wait, but I can use this one. I can use it on Google, and I can use it on prem. <laughs> uh, so you know, there's options. There's definitely options. All right. Well, if you are in Perth, Australia, which is on the eastern side, or sorry, the western side of Australia. I think I looked at a map right. Western side. Mm-hmm. Uh, you now have a data center option from AWS in the form of a local zone, uh, and then there's also now one in Santiago, Chile. Uh, so if you need that uh, particular item, uh, you will not have it. Now, of course, the one problem with the Perth region is that it's parented by the Sydney region. So if the Sydney region gets taken out in you know a tsunami or any other disaster, you can't actually control anything in Perth. But you know it's a good attempt in the right direction, and maybe this will force them to finally build something for real. 
on the other side of the country, which would be really great for DR because uh, the current regions are just too darn close for some DR policies uh, and their needs. And then the Santiago region, which I thought would have been, uh, you know, parented to something in South America is parented to North Virginia for some reason, which I don't fully understand, but hey, here we are. I have to imagine that there's, you know, just a lot of the, the availability concerns that, Amazon works with for a region like they just couldn't do, you know, like a number of network circuits and maybe power and power generation is a concern. And the other thing, too, is I always think of South America as being kind of west, but it's very far east from at least where we are in California. So, I mean, I'm sure that all these things come and play a part. I'm sure they do. And then uh, clean rooms, which were announced at reInvent, have officially entered preview. Uh, which means that they're not just vaporware. It's not just slideware. It actually exists. Uh, you have to sign up for it uh, through the website if you're interested in getting access to it. But the Clean Room is a new analytics service that helps customers collaborate with their partners to more easily and securely analyze their collective data sets without sharing or revealing underlying raw data. Instead of spending weeks or months developing clean room solutions, customers can use AWS Clean Rooms to create their own clean rooms in minutes and collaborate with any company on the AWS cloud to generate unique insights about advertising campaigns, investment decisions, and research and development. Uh, one of the most interesting things, of course, not being a preview, is there's actually pricing. Uh, and the pricing for this is priced at a clean room processing unit, uh, which is basically 63 cents per CRPU hour. Uh, and they gave an example. On the pricing page worked out to you know re- relatively like three queries a day over a month time you know basically worked out to be like 197 dollars or something not too crazy so I'm sure you can make that much much worse <laughs> with bad queries and bad optimization but uh, you know and their their happy path uh, example it's only 193 dollars yeah it'll be interesting to see you know this is an, a very interesting model right like for for a long time customers would you know grant cross account access at the S3 bucket level and you know, sort of figure out all the permissions you need to do with like Redshift or, or another Amazon tool. So it is sort of interesting to see sort of the the way that this is presented to the end users. Kind of curious to to play around and just see if it's, you know, is it just like logging into any kind of other, you know, Jupyter Notebooks environment or is it, you know, a little fancier? Yeah. It's interesting to me that... Um... Yeah, you know, this is very targeted at the advertising and marketing vertical, and I I don't fully understand that because it seems like it's much more powerful than that. It can do a lot of different things. This is just a really common use case in marketing, maybe because you have a bunch of different data sources that you need to bring together to dig analysis for your you know your type of insights. I don't I don't really know. Um, I just think it's a little bit interesting. Yeah, I thought that verbiage was crazy, and I guess it sort of makes sense if you want to. Do targeted advertising, and you have all your customer data and your usage data, where you'd want to be able to provide the ability for someone, an outside firm, to sort of run reports and analytics on that data set without exposing that customer information. Which I'm pretty sure is what this. So, I mean, I get the use case, but it is it, it caught me a little bit by surprise because I hadn't really thought of that being. It wouldn't have been the use case that I would have thought they would have built this for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have thought this was a different use case for science or R and D type stuff that then marketing people then they could use too. <laughs> like that's mm-hmm. how I would have thought it. But it, clearly, they have a customer who is very interested in this type of technology, um, or a set of customers in this particular space, and so that's why they built it for them. But mm-hmm. and I think that'll be important because that'll that'll shape the format of the tools, like in the presentation layer, right? Like because it's is it just raw data science or is it you know more of a curated service where you can 
you using like natural language processing, just ask questions and plain tests, text and get answers. It'd be interesting. Well, uh, it's time for a retirement party. One of the oldest IAM policies that I am aware of in all of AWS is being retired officially. The IAM actions for AWS billing, cost management, and account consoles under the AWS portal service prefix and the purchase orders uh, colon view purchase orders and purchase orders modify purchase orders uh, API IAM permissions will all be deprecated and replaced with new fine-grained service-specific actions and this launch gives AWS customers more control over access to billing, cost management, and account services. Uh, these new provisions will also provide a single set of IAM actions that govern console and programmatic access to all of the cost services. Uh, so they gave an example here where you want to give a developer access to budgets and cost explorers while denying them access to bills and or tax setting services. This allows customers to put engineers and business unit leaders in charge of cost usage optimization and control and implement decentralized cloud cost management. Now, if you're using uh, you know, Cloud Health or any of these other uh, cloud cost manager tools. You are going to upgrade your permissions before July 6th, as that is when they will be retired, and the new fine-grained access controls are available to you today. So you have plenty of time to make the pivot, which you won't do until July 7th, when it all breaks. Uh, it's kind of fascinating, because a lot of these announcements, previously they were just removing the ability to apply the older policies, and so it's interesting that these are actually, like, they will stop working on July 6th, which isn't a huge amount of time. I mean, but I don't it's know also, it's actually, a, I, and that's fair. I might have misread it or, you know, again, press releases are sort of hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it didn't, you know, I, I don't know if that means that it says it will no longer be available after July 6th. So that may be that it, if you already have an existing policy, you're fine. You just can't add it to a new one. Um, that might be what that interpretation could be. Again, I'm trying to squint through the press release verbiage of what they actually mean. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could also see them going the other way on this one because it's it's very unlikely that this is going to you know take down your production workload, right? Yeah. And affect your you know it's going to impact your visibility and maybe your reporting, which could you know if you've got a tight regulatory concerns, maybe maybe is an issue. But well, and I I think about it from the three D chess model of like what predictions are they going to do for reinvent? And like if they retire this by July six and they get you off of this type of access, then that opens the door for them to give you new types of billing tooling potentially at reInvent that you may want. Um, and if this was in the way, then they have a prerequisite they don't want to have in the way. So I, again, my 3D chess thinking about like what predictions do I want to think about for reInvent in November, uh, this one kind of tinkles my fancy because I think there's been a lot of demand from the FinOps community in particular uh, about you know what do they want to do for finance and, and how do they want to improve the cur and a lot of those things, which have been some of the oldest technology in all of the AWS cloud. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's wishful thinking, but I also feel like, yeah, the the amount of screaming they must hear about the cur and how that's done today <laughs> is probably very, very substantial. Yeah, I mean, wishful thinking, but it's also been something that's been getting louder for multiple years now. So long enough now that you know, if I look at it on the time scale of when did I get uh, root shell access uh, from when people started complaining about it, that's about an eight year window, and I mm-hmm. feel like you know people are complaining about the billing for at least eight years now. So I think we you know we're right right about on schedule. So mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see. Uh, well, we have we have mocked Azure, we've mocked GCP, uh, we've mocked other clouds for their terrible security practices, and uh, it's Amazon's turn. Sorry. Uh, Datadog Research has identified a defect in CloudTrail, or specifically a way to bypass CloudTrail logging for specific IAM API requests via undocumented APIs. This technique would allow an adversary to perform reconnaissance activities in their IAM service after getting a foothold in an AWS account. 
without leaving any trace of their actions in CloudTrail. Uh, this data was shared with uh, AWS by Datadog Research and has been remediated. Uh, but you know, interestingly enough, when you read through the article and you see the timeline, they reported this to AWS in March 10th, 2022, and did not have it fixed until October 24th, 2022. That is a long time. And the fact that Datadog didn't just go, we're going to press on this, like all like Wiz and everybody else, uh, you know, kudos to them. But also, like that's a long time, and then you know, ninety days after October twenty fourth, you know, you hit it into January seventeenth, and that's why you're now able to disclose this publicly. So, Datadog, um, at least if they do find a security issue in your software, uh, does follow your disclosure requirements, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Versus Wiz, who's like, no, no, the press is more valuable than not pissing Amazon off or yeah. or anybody else. <laughs> I mean, I think it's great when these things are found by a research firm and and where they can be remediated without. Them being like subject to a massive exploit, this is a bad one, and I bet you just due to due to where it, where it is, um, it was probably hard to remediate, and so without you know breaking a lot of other things, which would then have even bigger impacts on security, since CloudTrail is sort of crucial for detecting and and doing analysis on access to your cloud environment. So yeah, we'll never know the details. I'm sure there's people that do um but it's you know i wonder i mean i i suspect and you know reading through the article again i'm reading between the lines just a little bit <clears throat> it does sound like it was a pretty large change because again the i am admin you know basically it was a service that ran behind the scenes to do actions and basically you would invoke it from an iam policy and so you know it was one of these situations where you potentially weren't uh, supposed to even have access to it altogether, and most likely they opened it for some other reason. Which then, if they just closed it, it would have broken a bunch of other things, which have been bad. And you just see it, it unravels very quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was definitely a miss. It's definitely something they need to uh, not let happen again. But uh, you know, it, it took them a while to fix it, which is why I think yeah. it took so long. Probably because it impacted lots of services. Yeah, yeah. And you probably just peeled back one layer and found more, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> And again, like Datadog still got to talk about it and sort of at the press and, and all yeah. those things. So it's good. Uh, so moving on to GCP, uh, there's no stories because we killed CCAI. So sorry about that. Um, just, you know, sometimes, sometimes you just can't get excited for call centers. I just don't, I don't know. You know? Even AI powered call centers, but yeah, yeah. Even AI ones. So moving on to Azure. Uh, Jonathan uh, is very good at reading crystal balls. Uh, so for his 2023 prediction, he said that uh, Azure would basically launch a chat GPT service. Uh, this is close. Uh, they're basically saying general availability of Azure Open AI service uh, is now available. Uh, Azure Open uh, AI service is now generally available with more business can apply access to the most advanced AI models in the world, including GPT-3.5, Codex, and DAL-E-2. Uh, customers will also be able to access ChatGPT, a fine-tuned version of ChatGPT 3.5, as we train and runs inference on Azure AI infrastructure through Azure OpenAI service very, very soon. Uh, pricing is based on your inference per 1,000 tokens or a hosting per hour, depending on what models you are using and how you are using them. So not too expensive, super waiting, still waiting for that ChatGPT pricing, because that one I'm curious about. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is really interesting to see, you know, ChatGPT, you know, make the headlines. And it's, I was reading an interesting story um, that was really talking about why, um, because the, I guess the AI underneath it isn't really super revolutionary, but the, the access model is. And I thought that was a pretty interesting sort of take on it and not really knowing enough about, you know, the models and the training. Like I've, you know, I've been 
part of like large data sets for image identification and certain other things. So I know a little bit, but it is sort of fascinating to me that, you know, how these things are evolving, how, how certain questions are better answered by certain models and, and where I thought it would be more around the data sets that powered underneath it. And, and really, you know, chat GPT being just a chatbot that's free and available for anyone to ask questions of it has really just catapulted it front and center to a lot of people. And so, yeah, it's the best free marketing you can get when mm-hmm. everyone's talking about it for other reasons. And also now suing it too, because there's uh, some cases going through court about it, you know, leveraging you know, different public repositories for, you know, image stuff where they were you know, stealing that or different writing formats and, and methods. Uh, so yeah, I think we're in for an interesting time on some of that. You know, it was, it was sort of interesting, you know, your comment about the access model because I was, I was listening to our first episode of the year uh, you know, just seeing how it turned out, you know, in the final edit. And I, I don't listen to all of our shows, but I try to listen to at least a couple of them now. Um, and it, we were talking a lot about the platform story around, you know, Oculus and Facebook being a platform company and, you know, could they do that? And, and you know, I was thinking, you know, during, I didn't bring it up at the time, but I was thinking, I was listening back to it. I was like, you know, the real big issue there is that, um, you know, Facebook and Apple and all these people, like they're not first movers. <laughs> they're all third or fourth movers. And so, there's going to be the companies who build the primitives and then there's going to be the companies who make billions off the primitives and we're still at the primitive stage. So we're, you know, <laughs> Google or Facebook or any of these people trying to build the beginning sketches of these things are, you know, they're the ones who are either going to be lost, you know, had to figure out how to monetize it or they're going to be left behind um, when someone comes up with a better way to use these new technologies. And that might be the case of ChatGPT too as well, right? Where, yeah, like you said, this is the first time there's been an access model that really made sense and it was free. But, you know, is that the one that's going to be a billion dollars and be the next big thing? Probably not. But something something someone will build on top of it will be. And who's mm-hmm. going to do that? And that's the big question. Have you been waiting months and months to hire your new AWS, GCP, or Azure architect only to have them be poached at the 11th hour by a startup with a juice bar? Initiative stalled because you're having trouble hiring? Well, I have a simple solution. Foghorn Consulting. Falcon Consulting provides top-notch cloud engineers to the world's most innovative companies and can be burning down your DevOps and cloud backlogs as soon as next week. Falcon certified AWS, GCP, and Azure professionals are armed with infrastructure as code and from day one will be designing performant, optimized cloud-native or hybrid environments that deliver on the promise of cloud. Their FogOps solution even provides on-demand cloud engineering to augment your existing teams. Visit www.foghornconsulting.com or send an email to cloudtalentsnow at foghornconsulting.com and tell them the CloudPods sent you. Your dedicated FogOps team is with you for the long haul, and they bring their own juice. All right. Well, let's move on to our cloud journey series. Once again, we're still talking CCOE. We'll be talking about it still for several more weeks, but uh, we're getting to some of the meat and potatoes of uh, your CCOE now. And one of the very first big areas that we want to talk about is diving into access management or the dreaded IAM and IAM policies and what that means. So, uh, you know, Ryan, where do you want to start in uh, access management? Such a such a lightning exciting topic. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's near and dear to my heart just because I've I've battled through it for so long, um, and I feel like it's often not the first area people look at. Um, you know, it's when you think about why you want to adopt cloud, which we discussed kind of in depth last week, you know, it's, you, it's really that speed, that innovation, that the ability to experiment fast. And so oftentimes it's not until 
you have really sort of started your journey to uh, to launch your first production workload that you really take a serious look at this, you know, at least with fine grained, you know, lenses where you like l- look at the different teams and different parties and that need to be involved for, for, you know, any real workload. And so like, you know, it's, I think it should be the first challenge that's tackled. And I usually try to approach it as such, but it is also sort of hard to do when it starts off as an experiment or someone's pet account that they just started doing things in and you have to retrofit it in. It's complicated. So, I mean, like my, my trick to I am getting started is I just, you know, create a new Amazon account, go in, I get myself administrator rights and I just go to the races. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know why that's a problem um, <laughs> and why that isn't a best practice because I got access to everything and it solves all my problems and I can do that with buckets. I can do that with all kinds of things. Um, you know, why not just do that? Yeah, well, I mean, there's 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 no real reason as long as you are sh- fine sharing all of that information and, and having people somehow gain access to your credentials and stand up a billion Bitcoin mining machines and charge it to your credit card. So it just depends on what you're trying to achieve. Sure. <laughs> so and you think about, you know, this access model and you think about, you know, kind of approaching it, you know, like you said, there's there's lots of ways you can approach it. Again, IAM touches every part of the cloud. Like, is there a particular you know, like I have a new account, I have a new CCOE project and team, I've got a new, you know, corporate initiative to get to the cloud. Like, where do I even, like, how do you start? Where, like, do you, are you running into zero trust access at the box or are you kind of thinking <laughs> a little bit more basics uh, and a little bit more, you know, principled? Yeah. Um, so it's definitely, um, I'm very, very slow on tackling new problems, right? I like to sit and chew on it for a while and really get data about how to move forward. And so the first things I, I typically try to do is I look at, you know, the existing access model for whether it's a data center or, or, or a, you know, a dev environment or whatever you have and, and really understanding sort of the ins and outs of what you currently have. Um, and I think that that's super important just because you're going to, you know, like in most cases, you're going to be leveraging something like a central IAM or identity store. You're going to be partnering with, you know, either... A, IT or a corporate entity or some sort of identity source, or you're going to be managing that manually um, by creating users in these accounts. And knowing that up front um, allows you to plan for it and spec for it. Um, and that's, you know, like that's really where you're going to get, you know, the basis of your ideas of where you want to start and start allowing access into your cloud environment. You know, taking a look at everyone that's in your, your, existing cloud environment and has administrator rights and really taking a look at what permissions and APIs are they exercising and do they really need the permissions to, you know, to access everything in that account and are your auditors going to be okay with that? You know, that sort of, that sort of question, you know, like it's, it oftentimes will lead to, we just need to create a whole new account for our production workload and, and sort of, you know, deploy into it and leave, leave our existing one as, you know, either a POC account or a dev account or whatever, you know, and so those it becomes a key part of your strategy to just to sort of understand where you're at and where you want to go. So, you know, I am, I typically think access, how does that account and project structure kind of play into that from some perspectives? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's super important, right? If you think about the way you define an org policy or, or, or an access control barrier of any sort, right? You need to sort of think about you know, the whole software development lifecycle that's going to go on with that account. 
you know, you start off with a development and, and then you, you hand it off to a QA team who, and then maybe you hand it off to a separate performance team and then you hand it off to an operations team, maybe SRE, maybe there's a release team involved and all of these teams, you know, sort of just don't get an application running. And then are you really thinking about, you know, the, the isolation that you need for that? Like, should that be all within one account? What, what controls do you have to sort of protect against um, accidentally overriding prod? Do you, do you have data, you know, data loss concerns that you want to sort of mitigate by not allowing all the development teams access to your production and customer data? And how you define that will define your account structure and, and that account structure will be where you apply different sets of rules to different environments, you know, where you have higher environments and lower environments and the rules are different between the two. Maybe you have a third type, you know, where you do integration and staging or handoffs of some sort and all of that sort of, it really helps to define at least where you want to go up front so that you can target those with individual policies. Yeah, you know, again, you're thinking your technical teams, but you're also your supporting teams too, right? You know, it's not just IT or your cloud team, for example. It's it's also customer support and implementation services, and and how do they do the things that you desperately need to do <laughs> to keep your systems running and, and up in process? Now, you might push those over time to say like this is an opportunity to kind of reset those expectations and say, hey. You know, yeah, you used to have access to servers in production on the data center, but now you know we need to. We're raising the bar at some level in our IM too, and we're going to we're going to go through a different pattern. We're going to start saying, "Look, we're not going to allow you access to production unless it's break glass." And so that starts changing some of the conversations you need to have with those people as well. Um, and you need to start kind of thinking about some of the tooling around some of that as well as you go through this IM discussion. The tooling comes later, but you got to think about the foundations of that in the IM policies of like, are you going to use now? You have things like uh, security tags oh, that didn't exist <laughs> six months, mm-hmm. ago, you know, six years ago, uh, but it does now in the in the AWS cloud or in the, even Azure or, or GCP. Um, and maybe you want to think about how that stuff gets worked out too. So that's I think that's another thing to think about too is. It's not that you're going to build all of it today, but you're going to definitely want to think a little bit, you know, what's your story going to be in 6 to 12 to 18 months and how is that going to evolve this and can I think make some good foundational choices now versus having to retrofit this a year and a half from now when it doesn't work. And undoing access granted is hard, right? You yes. have production workloads and that are dependent on permissions and it's it's difficult and it's risky. And this is absolutely an opportunity to look at you know, those things that you're doing today in your production environment that maybe you don't need to be doing in the production environment. Maybe you can change the model. You know, I've, I've definitely been part of a few migrations where customer support logged directly into databases to modify data to support customers. So it's been in companies where, you know, product teams had the ability to run queries against very large data sets in order to, you know, strategize against, you know, feature releases and strategy and roadmap. And, you know, a lot of these things like you, you in the data centers, you didn't necessarily have sort of a service and application that you could leverage for fine grain controls. It was, you know, a little bit through AD groups, but um, it just wasn't as powerful as you get in a cloud environment. So this is an opportunity to take advantage of those technologies and think about doing something differently, maybe pumping a whole lot of data into a data lake or um, providing sort of operational applications to manage your application so that you don't have to allow raw access to your data level, data tier. Yeah. And then I also think you can start thinking about 
you know, your failure isolation boundaries too. You know, do you, if you get hacked, <laughs> what access do the users have? And can you start thinking about, you know, can I compartmentalize people better with the granularity I have in IAM and tagging and, and these different things to create smaller failure isolation boundaries and create basically, yep, you know, that's really bad that that server got, you know, that IAM credential got compromised, but its access is so limited that we know exactly what they could have touched. And then you can go focus your, your security incident on those areas they could have touched. Versus right now, you, you get into a data center and now you're looking at, oh, what can they get in my completely flat horizontal network? <laughs> they can get to everything. Mm-hmm. And now you're doing you know, security incident management across your entire fleet of servers versus a very specific set of like, okay, well, if I am permission to let them get to this server, then we know to go to that server first and do our forensics there. And then you know, then you can see where they jumped. And then if you can, you continue to maintain this these small failure isolation of boundaries with limited access. You can keep tracking that down until you figure out where they ended. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, it wasn't in your crown jewels <laughs> where they ended, but uh, you know, hopefully somewhere before that where they got blocked by or detected, and that's why you're actually even in the security incident. Yeah, and you can protect yourself from you know the risk of like a ransomware attack just by you know the, your users are always going to be the weakest link in the security chain, and you can you know, put an environment together where no users have access to the data that's shipped to it. So like if you, you know, back up all your data to this immutable account, that's really difficult to get into and requires, you know, two people to turn a key. Um, it's unlikely that that's going to be, you know, compromised at least in the same way that, you know, the original compromise took place. And so for, you know, it's a great way to mitigate a lot of those risks where it's where you're not paying millions of dollars of bounty just to get your encryption key to unlock your data. Don't pay the bounty. Yeah, never <laughs> protect yourself that. before that happens. Yeah, um, yeah. But one of the things that we here at the Cloud Pod know better than probably any other person in the world, other than maybe Corey Quinn, uh, but we, I think we know about it on a multi-cloud basis, and he only knows it from Amazon. Is that uh, these cloud providers are launching a ton of innovation? They're doing a ton of features, and they're constantly changing their IAM roles and policies and changes. How do you deal with that? Like, I mean, it's a big challenge if you think about, you know, I had access to this today, or even earlier in the day, we talked about, you know, my account, my billing access just yep. changed or is about to change. Uh, and so that's something I now have to deal with. How do you deal with that at speed and don't slow your business down? I think it's key to, to remember that, you know, these are centralized configurations for, for huge environments and treat them as such. Like, even if you're starting off small, think about a day where you are a huge enterprise company and what that might look like. Like not in the terms where you have to have all those questions answered, but realize that, yeah, this is, this isn't going to be going and changing one config in one place at some point, right? You're going to have to have a process and you want to develop a pipeline. And, you know, the big advantage of, you know, adopting infrastructure that's available via API is that you can start treating it like code. You can develop CICD pipelines for your IAM permissions. And you can even, there's technologies now where you can actually write unit tests for your permissions so that you can test if you're granting overly permissive protections or, or permissions or, or not enough where you'd be affecting your workloads. And, and so you can really apply some pretty modern pipelines with testing and stuff where you can promote these and you know mitigate your risk of changes there. And so really thinking about how you want to manage those and how you would introduce a change to add a new permission to a team or remove a permission that you found was too permissive. And being able to sort of track and provide the visibility along the lines is, is really important. And you know, these this is, you know, the beginning of your journey with with CCOE. So like it might be, you know, things you're thinking about 
not for today, but for tomorrow. But it's, it's important to think about because I think it's very, it's very often glanced over and it becomes, like I said, very difficult to remove permissions once you've granted them. Um, especially um, if you haven't put in the, the monitoring where you can track which permissions are being used when and by who. Agreed. So I think we just talked a lot about IAM in particular, and then yet we feel like we didn't talk about permissions. Mm-hmm. So where are they in IAM? Yeah, well, it's interesting, right? Because you, if you think about the permissions themselves, they're the least important part of your IAM journey. Permissions will change depending on what new service or new widget they've released, and you know whether it's you know read access or that. And you will always have to evaluate those permissions. Um, on on a continual basis, it's even more you know reason why you want to have a sophisticated pipeline to manage this. And so, what permissions a certain user gets is not an answer you can really develop centrally. You want to be able to really analyze who needs what and have a structure and a policy and a governance model that that guides you to define those. And it's going to be very specific to your business and very specific to your workload. And, you know, like that's, it's, it's a difficult challenge that's going to have to be faced by ever, every center of excellence, but it's also like, there's no master list of these permissions are okay to have. You can't just assume the Amazon read only policy is, is okay. And, and enough protection. You have to look at the individual permissions, what they do. And then in many times map that on layers of permissions that you can sort of build up to see if you're, if you've got an adequate protection for those. So it's a tricky challenge. Yeah, some of those managed policies are actually very dangerous. Um, and when you really, when you really start to understand IAM policies, what they're doing, and then you go look at what Amazon gave you, they're giving you a a, a set of controls that is basically for you know a company that has some security, but nothing too sophisticated or too complicated. Uh, and you know, I would not want to use those permissions for you know protecting most important company secrets. They're they're too broad. You know, there's things that are it's enabled by default that you know maybe you don't want enabled by default, <laughs> or you want it as a different role even or a different permission uh, through the process. So yeah, those they're great to get started. They're great you know for your innovation space or where you're doing experimentation because it gets you started quickly. But yeah, when you go to production, um, manned roles may not be the best thing. Plus, they can change at any time. So mm-hmm. you know, Amazon adds new capabilities, and you know maybe that new capability isn't something your security team wants to use, but Oh wait, we already gave permission to all the users because we use a managed rule. Um, you know, you probably want more control than that managed policy will give you. And so, at least at minimum, review what's in the managed policy and then copy it into your mm-hmm. own policy. Uh, and remember when you know some details in the notes of like I copied it from this policy on this date, <laughs> so you mm-hmm. have the details so you can go track it back later, um, or you know use Terraform or whatever other thing you do uh, to manage infrastructure as code. I mean, there's Twitter bots now. You can subscribe to Twitter bots. They'll tell you when the managed policy changes. It's awesome. There are, yeah, there are quite a few of those out there. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, I think we, I think we talked about a good portion of our IAM uh, topic here. Did I miss anything you want to bring up, Ryan? No, I mean, I think you know. In summary, it's it's all about really a lot of thought up front. IAM is one of the hardest challenges that uh, Center of Excellence will 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 face, and so really looking at you know. Who is going to need access to your cloud workloads and what access they're going to need um, and how that's going to be managed, not just today, but over its lifetime is really key. 
yeah. group that together with defining your your failure and isolation boundaries and your your data protection boundaries, and you've got yourself a pretty decent IM strategy. Can you give some examples of uh, IM strategy gone wrong and what some of the repercussions might be, and you know, kind of the warning message of like, here's what happens if you don't do it quite right. Do you have any good examples? Oh yeah, um, many, many, many <laughs> examples um, that you know. I referenced the read-only policy earlier, and that's a definitely a lesson learned. Um, you know, you you grant someone read-only access, and you you sort of think that that's pretty good, right? I want to give them the ability to to look at the account, but not not make any changes, um, and then realizing that you've granted the S three Git object permission after the fact, and you know. Some you know someone later on the line came along, decided to store uh, credentials in in an S3 file, and they were they thought it was perfectly safe because they had encrypted them, and and it was one of those things where you know you find that you know your credentials have been it's not credentials for 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 Amazon but credentials somewhere in the application have been leaked and are being used by. Um, you know, everyone in the company and it's not really secure and you can no longer remove access to that. And so that was, that was one lesson that I learned the hard way. Um, I've been part of many migrations where the current support model um, did require a lot of direct access to applications where that stopped the entire migration process because it was too expensive to apply a new policy um, to your cloud workload and taking the existing one into the cloud seemed too risky to the business because it's you know you're already moving your data out of your high walled garden and your data center and moving into the cloud and it just it shuts shut things down. So it's it's there are definitely some gotchas in there where where it can be a problem. Um, I've also locked myself out of accounts. I can't say how many times through playing with automation and doing that kind of stuff. So there's those kind of gotchas as well. Oh, I, I, uh, back in the, uh, my windows SME days, which I know you like to make fun of me for, uh, I had to do a lot of, uh, work with, uh, group policies and, you know, enforcing things through group policies. And, uh, I always had a little test domain that I, uh, would do those tests on first because the number of times that I completely borked my access to the entire domain was not zero. <laughs> and I think I am is a very similar thing. Like, with great power comes great responsibility, and do be careful because yeah, you're right. You can you can eliminate your ability to do a lot of things. Uh, there's actually some really great exploits. Uh, they tell people talk about like okay, you get access to the Amazon account, and then you you know you don't disable CloudTrail because disabling CloudTrail would be a red flag. But you change mm-hmm. the encryption key to an encryption key that's in your other account, and then all of a sudden now they can't decrypt their own data in CloudTrail, right? And like there's all these things that you can. You know, you can enable it with these different patterns if you think about it. And there's some really great write-ups of like, here's how I would completely own someone's Amazon account, uh, and they walk you through some of these strategies. And they're all based on really bad IAM permission boundaries, um, typically, and or using managed policies from Google, you know from uh, AWS or from Google. Um, so yeah, so do do take it seriously. Don't don't get so locked up though in that you don't move forward on your strategy. But keep this in mind and think about it. Or at least more than five minutes. Yes. Yeah. So, so next week we're going to talk about the big cloud elephant in the room, which is always security. And uh, I'm giving all my data to a cloud provider. How do I secure it? What am I worried about? What are the things that I need to know? And uh, how do I make my pesky CISO happy with our cloud strategy and journey? 
which is a key <laughs> part of our CCOE. Again, part of your CCOE is a security person, and there's a key reason for that. And we'll talk about that all next week. Uh, and that is it for another fantastic week in the cloud. Thank you, Ryan, for joining me. Uh, we do that a little more interview style than normally, but uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're the expert and I am. I am not. <laughs> so, Yeah, it's, I don't know. All right. Two people. What are we going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. And that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel. Go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. Mm-hmm.